Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory to Be seated. It is invariably the case, it seems to me, uh, reflecting back through the years, uh, that as uh, people uh, first come to explore the Orthodox faith and visit this uh, church, there's a number of things that strike them, particularly if they come from a Protestant background. Uh, one of those, obviously, is the icons. Uh, other things, the services are sewn from beginning to end, uh, things that way. Uh, but as they start noticing and begin asking questions, uh, certainly among the first questions they get asked are, is what is all this that's going on about sins? Uh, maybe the first one is about the mother of God, which will say things like the most holy Theotokos Savas, although if they're really new, they have no idea what we're saying. So anyhow, until they suddenly realize who Theotokos is, and then they start asking questions. But we say such things as that, and, and this honoring of the saints, uh, I, my background before I was Orthodox was High Church Anglican, and we certainly honored the saints, but it was really kind of muted, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there. And, and from my uh, a few visits I've had over time to uh, in Catholic services and funerals and, and the like, even there, it's kind of muted. And, you know, there's, there's certainly saints there, but the Orthodox get on that horse and ride a lot all the way through the service, you know. And a lot of mention made of the saints. It just comes up a lot. Lots of hymns for them, uh, other things that acknowledge them. Uh, and uh, kind of because of the, the argument uh, that grew up during the Reformation, in which there was this argument between Catholic and Protestant about saints. Um, you know, can you have them? Should you have them? Yes, but you, they can't pray for us. And no, you can't pray to them. And all of the back and forth argument, none of which did, was orthodox. We didn't have a dog in the race uh, as orthodox. And so sometimes people come to the orthodox with the wrong questions. Like uh, Lutherans and Catholics used to have the argument of how many sacraments are there? And the Lutherans would say two, and the Catholics would say seven. And if they were in the eastern part of the Western empires, they would then turn to the Russians you know, and say, what about you? How many do you have? And the Russians would kind of respond, well, whatever number we have, it's not less than the Catholics. And so it has to be a minimum of seven, and yet you'll find some books that'll, that'll say nine, and I think that like a throw in tonsuring, you know, and a few other things. And, and then there's some Orthodox books just to top it off, says there's an infinite number of sacraments, and the whole world's a sacrament. You know, so those are the way those arguments go. And, and sometimes, this was always a problem, is that when an argument gets started, um, uh, arguments start singling out things as important that may not be important, or are quite so important. Uh, Father Thomas Hopko uh, once said that the origin of sola, this is interesting, that the origin of sola scriptura, the doctrine uh, that things should be by the Bible only, he said, came out of our arguments with Islam uh, in like the 12th and 13th century, especially medieval scholars were debating with Islam. And they, who like to call us people of the book, and I always respond, no, I'm not. I'm a people of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, and we have a scripture. But anyway, the argument in the Middle Ages got to be, who had a better book? There's the Quran. That's our infallible, spoken by God in the ear of Muhammad or something, but 
an angel or something else like that. And, um, you know, we've got this perfect book, the scriptures, and the Christians would say, oh yeah, our scriptures are better than that, and the argument, not realizing that something had just changed. Uh, and that the argument had shifted to book comparisons. Uh, and which was something that prior to the argument with Islam had not been a Christian point. Not that we didn't have our scriptures, not that we didn't think of them as authoritative and even infallible, but uh, although the argument of infallibility is almost more a, 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 a modern argument uh, that gets up when you're arguing with Darwinians or something. These, every time you have an argument, you sort of change what's going on. You might notice that, by the way, in your relationships. <laughs> uh, be careful what you argue about. You can be severely changing the relationship. But with the saints, um, it is interesting how God names himself. We have, of course, uh, the famous incident with, with Moses uh, on the mountain when he says, you know, who shall I say is sending me? He wants to know the name of God. And God says to him, I am that I am, uh, the name that's sometimes rendered as Yahweh, uh, but never spoken by the Jews. Uh, the closest thing in the Old Testament that we get to a name, but God actually has other ways in which he names himself. He'll name himself the God of Israel, which is actually a person, and by extension, the nation. Uh, or, more commonly, particularly at the time of, uh, of the New Testament, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God apparently likes saints. He likes them so much that he will use a few of them to name himself. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which is really quite an honor if you think about it for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that God himself uses them to name himself. Um, also, at the time of Christ, uh, it was common among the Jews to refer to paradise, heaven, uh, as the bosom of Abraham. Christ himself uses that phrase, the bosom of Abraham. When we die, we're taken to the bosom of Abraham. Again, naming it by a saint. Um, this is, I think, strikingly important. Um, there's a tendency, especially as these arguments kind of came up in the Reformation and stuff, to move towards abstractions. You know, like the, the philosopher God, almighty, all-powerful, you know, all-knowing, etc. I don't know if you ever had freshman philosophy. My freshman philosophy course at Furman University, they trotted that God out. I didn't realize that you can't let the philosopher start the questions. You know, he defined God, almighty, all-powerful, da-da-da, all-all-all. And then, so we had a few weeks of that, and then he got to the problem of evil. And so that was the setup, because he was going to ask us, how can God be almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-good, and yet allow evil? And those of us in the class who were Christians were staring at our feet. You know, I don't know. You know, and the philosopher professors making us feel like fools. And um, it was just much later that I realized that we were being fools because we let him get away with defining God by an abstraction. It's interesting, he just defined him as all-powerful, and yet 
Scripture defines the power of God as the cross of Christ. If God is all-powerful, but the power of God looks like the cross of Christ, then the question of what about his power and the problem of evil actually is a much different conversation than the philosopher was wanting to have. A much different conversation. One that we Christians uh, can and do engage in all the time. That our God is a God who in the face of evil dies. Tramples down death by death. Um, but he does not overcome evil by doing evil. So, as the philosopher would like him to do. Nonetheless, God names himself by the saints. He makes himself known to us in the same way. Not one of us uh, is here or knows God and names God except by the witness of another human being. Most particularly, the saints. Like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The saint apostle Paul. And on we have the writers of the New Testament. We know God through the saints. Uh, not only that, but even there's a wonderful, a pious belief among many of our holy elders that God, and it goes back a long, long way, I've seen it at least in the 5th century, uh, a common belief that God sustains the universe in existence through the prayers of perhaps three righteous men. <coughs> could be a woman too. But by the prayers of three righteous, he sustains the entire universe. Uh, so, you know, God delights in his saints. Um, and every time we see God described in heaven, uh, those few occasions that come out in scripture of the so-called theophanies, where God shows himself, he's always in a crowd. You know, there's a crowd of angels, uh, Crowd saints. In fact, the very name, the Lord God of hosts, Sabaoth, basically means God of the crowd. It's, it's a heaven's crowded place, which I'm really excited about. Uh, <laughs> it's too exclusive, I'm concerned. Um, but it's crowded. The Lord God of hosts, and he delights in this. And so when those when inquirers come and they're puzzling about the saints. Part of what they're puzzling about is they do not yet know God. They may have an idea of God and heard some things about him, but have not heard the proclamation of the, of the fullness of God in Christ uh, that has been given uh, in the inheritance of the Orthodox Church. God delights in the saints. That's who he is. We don't have another God. He really likes them. And what's very, very excellent about that is if he likes the saints, that's also really a high chance that he's going to like you. This is who we worship. This is not the God that some have grown up with uh, in which what they heard is so frightening. You know, I meet people who say they don't believe in God. Every time I hear that, I always say, tell me about the God you don't believe in. I'll bet I don't believe in that one either. Sometimes you have to forget the false God in order to come uh, and understand the real and true God who loves us, who, in fact, St. John says, God is love. He loves us. He wraps himself in us. He clothes his name 
in our names. What humility. What wondrous love. And so this Sunday we celebrate uh, the uh, Sunday of All Saints. Uh, you didn't realize it, but today was Halloween uh, for the Orthodox. And they didn't give us any candy. But anyway, so um, that's not our shape. Uh, we come and we pray. Um, and I talk to the God who calls us each by name, who loves our names, who loves us, who exalts us to his side uh, and promises us crowns and thrones. What a great God. And when we celebrate the saints who are living proof that this is the revelation of God. This is who he is. What joy. What joy. We have so much uh, to rejoice in in this great feast. In the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let's see.